0: Wasn't that fun? What's that? Hey, better, hey better! Well, I'm excited for this series that we're going to be having through the summer. Um, and just so you're aware that this series is not me trying to vicariously live out some sort of baseball uh, dream I had that wasn't ever realized. Um, I was uh, what they refer to in Little League and in baseball circles as uh, not good at it. Uh, I, I was a strikeout king. And, uh, and that's not because I went down swinging for the fences. That was because I was terrified of getting hit by the pitch. And, and so it was more of like a cower type thing. So if you were able to get the ball over the plate, there's a good chance you could strike me out. Um, uh, so, yeah, I was just not much of a baseball player. Uh, to the point, and I, I, I cannot speak to its legality in terms of like pay for play for amateur athletes and things like that. But my dad offered to pay me a quarter for every time I just swung. He's like, I don't care if he throws it three feet outside. If you swing, I'll give you a quarter. And so I was, I was paid as an amateur. Um, I hope it didn't cost myself any future years of eligibility in baseball but, uh, by admitting that. But now you know. Um, All that to say, over the next couple of months, we're going to be going through uh, the minor prophets of the Old Testament. That's the, the, the gist of summer in the minors. We're going to be going through the minor prophets in the Old Testament. There's 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. And they're not called the minor prophets, by the way. Ooh, I've got fruit snacks for later. They're not called minor prophets, by the way, because... Uh, Because they they just weren't quite as good as the major prophets. Like, man, if they'd applied themselves a little better, maybe they could have been a major prophet, you know. But, uh, well, you're just a minor prophet. But rather, it's... um Augustine, back in like, I think it's the fourth century, uh, separated the prophets because there were some that were just shorter books of the Bible and longer books of the Bible. So he separated. There are five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And so we're going to be focusing and looking at the minor prophets over the next few weeks. And starting this week, for the next three, we're going to kind of have a mini-series within it talking about Jonah. Jonah's the first uh, prophet I wanted to go through because I think it's such a cool story. I love the imagery of Jonah. I can still see the flannel graphs as a child of Jonah and the whale. And it's just like cartoon. When you, when you look up, if you were to Google, don't do it now, but Google like Jonah and the whale, you're going to get like kids' stories especially, right? It's just a great story that sticks to your, the, to your brain and just remember these kinds of things. And uh, Jonah's a fascinating book because it's a book of contradictions. Um... There's a lot, many literary scholars actually uh, classify the book of Jonah as a parody or a satire, Um, not because it's not God inspired or not truth, but because over and over again throughout the book, there's almost this comical discord that happens that goes on between what Jonah knows to be true and the way he responds to that and then the way God actually works. And so there's this like this discord and almost comedy that goes through the book as you read and see how it works out. So um, it's a parody or satire in that sense. So um, to give you a background of what Jonah's all about and what's going on here, the book of Jonah uh, is placed in, in the end of the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles and you want to open with me to the book of Jonah, that's where we're primarily going to be. It's actually about three quarters of the way through your Bible. So it's a big chunk of the way through your Bible, and uh, it's... It's actually Jonah is actually referenced far before this though, in one of the books of history, way back in first or in Second Kings, Jonah's mentioned in chapter 14, verse 25, it says that Jonah was from a small town called Gath Hefer. And uh, the ruins of Gath Hefer have actually been archaeologically excavated, and it's about three miles north of Nazareth, which is where Jesus grew up later, and where you know we we, we know these stories. And then also uh, just about a half a mile from Cana, where Jesus would do his first miracle at the at the wedding there. So uh, so Jonah's from this small community that's a kind of a border town right there next to Gath, less that's, than name Gath, right? And he's living in this community town. And uh, the period that he lived there was just before the time where the prophets Amos and Hosea would have lived. Which was the time when the Assyrian Empire would come in from the east and take over and destroy and carry into captivity the entire northern kingdom of Israel. They would destroy Israel, take them captive and take them away and actually those tribes would really never be seen or heard from again. They would be scattered in a diaspora, and uh, and and they they were gone forever. But however, this time that this happens is about fifty years before that, and actually Israel was experiencing a time of unparalleled prosperity at this time. Um, it had military success, uh, which. It had not experienced it since the time of being a divided kingdom. So it was doing really well. They were they were winning battles. They were the only real conflict they had were with the Arameans. And so their territory was expanded really far out. They were doing well um, not having to deal with Assyria because Assyria was having its own internal strife. They were having a turnover with their own uh kings and things like that. So Assyria wasn't an issue. Israel was doing pretty great. Um so That's where we pick up. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. So God... Speaks to Jonah, we don't know how, audible voice, whatever it might be. He hears from God. He says, you need to go to Nineveh. Um, and I'm speaking judgment over it. Now, this is an important, interesting point here. Jonah is not a missionary. Sometimes we assign Jonah missionary in our mind. Jonah is a prophet. And his job, he's not sent to Nineveh to go and try to convert people. He's not sent to Nineveh to call them to Repentance. He sent to Nineveh to notify them, God's going to kill you. Yeah. That's his job, is to go just notify them, doom is on its way. And so this message of judgment and not hope in many ways colors Jonah's perspective of his job and his responses to what God would do then, as we read this story later. Jonah has a mission from God, he's, he's, he's like the Blues Brothers on a mission from God, and he, he's, he's got this thing that he knows he's supposed to do, And and it's to tell people, God's going to kill you. Judgment is coming. And so he hears God's command. He hears what God tells him to do. And what's his response? Continuing on in verse 3, it says, But Jonah got up, and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, the Bible doesn't actually shed much light specifically on why he didn't want to go. Uh, there's different views. It could have been a. Uh, it, what couldn't have been? It was. It was a very long journey across the desert, which would have been perilous. There could have been bandits, and it could have been a sketchy situation. Plus, he's going to a country that wasn't friendly to Israel. Um, so he, he would be going there. What's the people's response going to be? People don't typically respond well to you. God's going to smite you for all your sins. Try that. Go out to the store and tell someone that. By the way, it's not going to go well. Probably, I, I don't. Don't do that. Just, just. It, he he's going, this is not a good idea for whatever reason. Some people might say, well, it's because of, he knows what God's response is going to be and what their response is going to be, and that's why he doesn't want to do it. Uh, I think there was a lot of fear behind what Jonah's decision was to go the opposite direction. Yeah. And so Jonah decides to dip out, and he heads out for a place called Tarshish, it says. And this is how much Jonah didn't want to obey God, okay? Now, Tarshish is not to be confused with Tarsus, okay? Not that I've ever made that mistake confusing them. Tarsus is where Saul is from. Everybody know the story of Paul and Saul? We just talked about him a couple weeks ago. He was from Tarsus. That's a city that's not too far away from Israel. It's on the border of Syria and Turkey. Tarshish is a much different story. Um, Based on archaeological and ancient records, Tarshish is sometimes believed to be associated with Rhodes or Carthage of Greece, which is much further away. But actually, many modern assessments actually have it placed as far west as Spain. Um, if you look at the map here, you can see where Nineveh is. And he left Gath Heifer right away and went exactly in the opposite direction of Nineveh. As far as he could go, got on a boat and was like, we're set and sail. Yeah. <laughs> and he's headed as far in the literal opposite direction that he could. Um, some texts suggest that, that I studied say that the location was used more as like a euphys- euphemism for the farthest point west you could find. Yeah. Kind of like when we use the word Timbuktu you know, for a faraway place. That's a real place. It's in Mali. But but when we say it, we're referring to being like somewhere just way out there, right? And so he was going to Timbuktu. He was on his way out. First Kings 10.22, as a matter of fact, gives us more kind of idea of how far this is. It says that King Solomon had a fleet of ships that would trade with Tarshish, and that trip would take them three years to complete, that's a long trip, three years. So Jonah wasn't just doing a weekend escape to an Airbnb to get away from God. He was like, I am moving. He is picking up his life and saying, I don't care if I have to live in another land. I'm not, I'm not going to be around here for this God. And so he's, he's literally thinking, I'll start a new life where God can't find me. Uh, But apparently in all of this, despite him being a prophet of God and all these things, apparently he had never read Psalm 139, verse 7. It says this in Psalm 139, 7. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. God has great night vision goggles. He will find you. We cannot run from God's presence. Now, David is kind of talking about both sides here. He's talking about, isn't it great that there's nowhere I can go that God won't uphold me, that I won't be out of His presence. But at the same time, I can't hide from you, God. And and Jonah this psalm had been written, I'm sure he had read it, still thought, I'm going to run from you, God. I'm going to get away. And so somehow Jonah convinces himself, he deludes himself to think that I can geographically get away from God. Somehow God is geographically challenged with the westerly direction. I don't know. Maybe there's, he can only go east. And so um, he's like, if I go far enough west, God can't find me. And so remember, again, Jonah is a parody of contradictions. And so he knows how big God is. He knows that God can smite an entire nation that's the greatest nation that the world had known in Assyria at the time. But this cognitive dissonance is going on in his brain. Cognitive dissonance is when we hold two contrasting points of view at the same time. How many of us have ever caught ourselves there? And you go, oh man, I feel kind of dumb. I believe this, but I believe this. And they definitely don't go together. And he's got this dissonance going on and he goes I know who God is I know that he's everywhere I know that he knows my thoughts I know what he says to me and I know that he's called me to obedience but yet I'm going to run yet I'm, I'm going to run and, and, and we can laugh at that we can think how foolish of Jonah but we are so foolish as people as well we're no different than Jonah we all run from God all the time We try to distract ourselves. We might not get on a literal boat, but we try to distract ourselves from hearing God's voice. Maybe you've done everything you can, you have in your toolbox, to evade conviction of the Holy Spirit. You've done, you've done everything in your power to not hear God speaking to a specific point that needs to be dealt with. Maybe there's a person you avoid contact with because you know there's a conversation you need to have. You need to ha- write a letter or make a phone call or knock on their door. Maybe, maybe there's a prayer of repentance that needs to be prayed and offered to God. Maybe you, maybe you have literally geographically run away from God. Maybe you were living on the East Coast and you found yourself over here because you knew you needed to get away from God somehow. See, we all run from God. We, we have times that we do it. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. We all have those moments. Some of us quite literally more than others. Well, we all have those moments. And, and, and so maybe you've, you've had those moments. And, and so Jonah has this, and he's literally running from God. He's this, we see this expression of fear and running from God. And he, so what does he do? He gets aboard the SS Minnow, right? He jumps on this boat. And... I actually, when I wrote that in my notes, I was like, I got to look up the lyrics. And I was like, this could be written into the book of Jonah right here. The, the whole song fits perfectly in the book of Jonah. The tiny ship was tossed. <laughs> if not for, no, I'm just I'm not going but <laughs> continuing on in verse four, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So, I don't know if Jonah, being Jonah, just... just. Uh, didn't, uh, being not a sailing type, didn't know the gravity of the situation. That's why he was sleeping. Maybe he's like, if God's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. I'll just sleep. What, for whatever reason, he was asleep in the bottom of the ship. But the sailors realized this is a serious storm. This isn't a passing squall. This is very serious. Their boats weren't too huge at the time. They're about 70 feet long. Uh, tech, technologically speaking, they were not hugely advanced. Uh, sailors would typically even going through the Mediterranean, try to keep within, uh, view visual distance of the shore. And so this squall comes up and they are going, we are in really big trouble. The ship can't take it. It's starting to break apart. And so they start throwing cargo overboard. And I looked up the word for cargo. And, and the Hebrew word for cargo is, that's used here is referring to the practical gear. It's their food, their water, and their provisions. It's the things they need for basic survival. That's how serious you see the storm is. They're not throwing like a rocking chair over or something like that. You know, things that are just not necessary. They're throwing over like the things they need to stay alive because it's dire. So they're throwing over the essential stuff, and this illustrates their de- desperation, and they start calling out to their gods. Now, typically, people in the ancient Near East would call out to their closest ancestral deity. They, If they had a family deity or a clan that they were part of, they would call out to that. Uh, these sailors were most likely Phoenicians. The Jewish people were not seafaring people. The Hebrews did not like the ocean. They uh as a matter of fact, if you read in Greek or in Hebrew literature, whenever the C is mentioned, it, it's an it's an alliteration to the great unknown and to chaos. It's fearful. And so the Hebrews typically didn't sail, but the Phoenicians were seafaring people that were in this area. So they started calling out to their gods. Most likely their god was called Yam, not sweet potato, Yam. And uh, and they're, they're, they're calling out to Yam. And Yam was a god, god of the sea, but he hadn't created the sea. He had been given jurisdiction over the sea. His job was to manage it. And so they start calling out to the great Yam. Please, great Yam, save us from this ocean that's trying to kill us. Hoping that somehow their God would intervene on their behalf. Their best hope was that their God would have the power or even the interest to rescue them. They're like, maybe we can get his interest. Maybe he'll notice us. Maybe he'll have the strength to save us. And so they're desperately calling out to their God. Clearly it's not working. Yam ain't home. And so... Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? It's like coming through security at the airport. (laughs) Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. So until this point in time, Jonah was just another dude. He was some guy. They didn't even know his nationality or his job, right? He was a guy that showed up that had enough money to pay for his ticket. And they knew, it mentions, that he was running from his God. That's a great icebreaker when you just meet someone. Be like, by the way, I'm running from my God. And, uh, and he told them that, apparently, when he, when he got on the boat. But for them, when they hear this, they hear he's running from his, his God. That probably doesn't mean too much because their gods have limited reach. Yeah. You're trying to get out of his region of, of influence? Sounds good to us. Doesn't mean much to them. But once they, he, they find out, they say, what is your nationality and who is your God anyway? That When he tells them his nationality and who his God is, this this is what basically understanding his background and his culture tells them who he serves. Are, so they're asking, you know, what what who's who's your background? Are you are you Phoenician? Is Yam your god? Is it Ra? Are you Egyptian? Are you is it Num? Are you is it Poseidon? Maybe you're Greek or something or Anu or what it, wh- who are we talking about here? And and Jonah responds by saying, "I'm a Hebrew." Yep. And he says, "I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, and he's actually the one who made this sea." And he made the land. He's not just the person that has jurisdiction over them. He's not just kind of keeping an eye on things. He created it all. He designed it all and he made everything. And and, and he's not just limited to the sea and the land and all these things. But he's the creator of all this creation. And the Bible says that this new, bigger fear came over the sailors. There's two words for fear that are used here in Jonah 1. First one happens in verse 5. When the storm happens, it says they were afraid. I did a a background search on that in the Hebrew on what afraid means. And it means to be afraid. They were scared. But then he tells them that my God is the one who made this sea and the land. And he did all these things. And this new bigger fear comes over them. In verse 10 it says when the sailors heard this, who this God of Jonah is running from, it says they were terrified. And I looked up that word as well, and it's the same word, afraid, but it's twice. They were afraid, afraid. And then they slide an adjective in between that, that means intensity, loudness, and magnitude. So they were afraid, afraid, very much loudly. This was like an, a, a, just a, an explosion of terror that came over them. It was not just fear. This was now like, what have you done to us? So they go on in verse 10. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. But instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them. Remember, and they couldn't make it. Remember, they tried to stay within visual distance of the shore, but they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have, seen, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked Jonah up And threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So, what's the solution to the sailors? Problem. Throw him overboard. That's the final solution, right? At first, it's row. At first, it's like, let's, let's see if we can get to shore. Let's do everything else we can. But then they arrive at, throw the guy overboard. And then essentially, what Jonah was saying, sacrifice me and you'll be saved. And uh, I don't know if Jonah knew that God would provide a fish. I tend to think he didn't. I think he thought, this is the end. And uh, he did know as he says here, that it was his disobedience is what led up to this moment. So by removing himself from the situation, he would be sparing these men. By himself being sacrificed, being thrown into the sea, he would be sparing these sailors. And now that's, that's a nice sacrifice. But obedience would have been better. In First Samuel, there's a story of a king named Saul. And Saul was... Uh, told by God to go and fight their enemy, and God said, and you are not to spare anything. You are to kill everything there when you defeat the enemy. You're supposed to kill every animal, every, every person, everything. You are to wipe it out because it's become a problem for you to continue, continues to pull you into sin. Kill everything. Saul went in, and he killed a lot of things. But there were some things that were just too nice. There were some sheep and some cattle and some people that he thought these people are great and these things are great. And so he held on to them and he was confronted for his sin. He was confronted by Samuel. So instead, when he keeps these best things, he's confronted by God. And so here's what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15:22. Samuel replies to Saul after Saul tries to give his explanation. What is more pleasing to, to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Always. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. God is not all that impressed by Jonah's sacrifice of being thrown off the boat. It started with a root of rebellion. In Jonah, it started with a root of rebellion. You see, we barter with God. Um, we, we barter with God with feigned sacrifices or maybe even real sacrifices, but we try to substitute those in place of obedience. Hmm. Try to do something really good for God instead of obeying God. We say, God, hmm, I know you're calling me to this, but what if I, what if I just give a little extra in the offering? It's going to hurt, but I'm going to do it for you, Lord. Instead of obeying, we sacrifice something else. Or maybe we say, uh, you know what? I helped an old lady cross the street. That is, that is a great sacrifice for me. I don't want to follow through with, with speaking out to this person, maybe sharing my faith with this person, or going here and doing this that you've called me to do. Um, how about I serve in some other way? Instead of um, obeying what I hear, God, I'll, I'll compliment the pastor on his good word. Good word today, Pastor Brent. not going to do it, but that's my sacrifice, telling the pastor that was a good word. Now I'm guaranteeing myself I'm not going to get a compliment on this message. (laughs) We find ways to skirt around obedience all the time with excuses. And let me tell you, God, I want obedience above sacrifice. There are two things I really notice in this text that we read about Jonah here to start this. The first is that Jonah's, is, is just the amazingness, we talked about this, of Jonah's determination to run from God. There's this odd contradiction in Jonah's confession to the sailors. He says, my God is the God who made the ocean and the sea. He's Yahweh. He's great. He's mighty. He's the one that's doing this and he's going to kill us all. He recognized how big and strong God was and he fears Yahweh, but apparently not sufficiently to obey Yahweh. That's a weird contradiction. To know how big and great Yahweh is, but not enough to obey him. His head knowledge never met heart knowledge. And maybe for some of you, you know God is real You've, you've seen Him at work in your life. You, you, there's no question about the reality and the magnitude of God. There's this head knowledge, but it's not gotten into actual heart knowledge. And you have been running from God. Is this where you've been? You know God, but you've, you've been running from Him. You know that He's real. You know His size, His strength, His power. But you've still been going in the other direction. Hard and fast running in the other direction. You may say I've been running from God's vo- voice for a long time or maybe there's a consistent issue where I've been resisting Him at that same point. So when is a time that you've resisted the clear direction of God in your own life? And I, I'm, I'll just say you may be at a point where you're far off from where you should be. You may be halfway to Tarshish. You may be sleeping in the bottom of the boat but let me tell you burying your head in the sand and ignoring the issue ignoring the storm of god getting your attention going around you is not going to solve it it's getting you uh, no closer it starts by acknowledging wait i'm going the wrong way i'm going the wrong direction god you got my attention and so right now maybe maybe you are still trying to distract yourself from that even now you're thinking about other things going on other other things that are trying to cloud your mind and right now god is saying let's do business Let's talk about where you've been running from me. Let's talk about the area maybe that you've been holding back from obedience from me. What is that thing right now God is speaking to you? See, the good news is we don't serve a God of second chances. We serve a God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances and seventh chances. He is waiting for you. It's not too late, and it's never been too many times that you've come back to God. So right now I want to invite you to welcome the one, the God who calms the storm. But it starts with repentance, saying, I'm going the wrong way. See, repentance literally means to turn in the opposite direction. Repentance means, I'm going the wrong way, I need to turn and go the other way. See, the the thing the sailors had wrong was, they were calling out for assistance, not repentance. Repentance. The sailors wanted to live, yes, but they weren't calling out in repentance. Jonah needed to reach a point of repentance. And right now, I call you to repentance to say, I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn this around. I need to do business with God. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute? Before we close today, I want to ask you, is there any area... That you've been running from God. That you've been resisting Him. That you've been fleeing from Him. Maybe it's with your whole life. You have never surrendered your life to Him. Given your life to Christ and said, I need you to take the lead. I am no longer the one that should be running this show. It's surrendering and yielding to you, God. So first of all, I want to ask you, if you have never given your life to Christ, you've been living life on your own terms, but you feel Him calling you today. You say, I've been running... On my own terms, on my own steam, and I know that the storms of life are too much. I know that this is not something that I can manage and do on my own. I need to surrender to Him right now. The God who created it all is real, and He's calling me. I hear His voice. Pastor Byrne, I'm ready to surrender, and I'm ready to give my life to Him in full repentance. If that's you, you say, Pastor Burn, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Will you raise your hand right now and raise it high? I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Put your hands down. Right now, church, we're going to pray together. And this prayer is a prayer that comes from our heart. It's not about uh, a certain order of words that we put together, but it's a posture of our heart that says, God, I am stopping going in my own direction, doing things on my own terms, and I'm yielding to you. So right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, church, we're going to pray this prayer together, a commitment to saying, Jesus, I believe who you say you are, that you are the Son of God, that you came to give me life, and I yield myself to you in every way, in every area. You now have lordship. So right now, church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You came for me. You died for me. You took my sin." and you rose again, and you're alive today. So right now, I give you my heart. I yield my life to you, no longer on my terms, but fully surrender to you. I make you my King. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior from this day forward. In your name, Jesus. Amen. The next question I want to ask is for those who would say, there's an area of my life I've not fully surrendered. Maybe you've been serving God, but you've been protecting an area of your life, and you've been maybe serving or, or making sacrifice in other areas, but there's disobedience there. I'm going to call it what it is, it's disobedience. It's not just going with the neutral answer, Not doing what God says is disobedience. And right now, you say, I need to do business with God and own it. And surrender to Him in every single area of my life. Can we bow our heads one more time? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're in this room, you say, I'm in that category. I've been hearing the Holy Spirit whisper into my heart as as we've been talking about those areas that I've been fleeing from God. I've been trying to hold them off in my own little compartment, and it's time to stop and yield it to God. I don't know what that thing may be, but God does. He's here now. And he's ready to give you that second chance, that third chance, that fourth chance for obedience. He desires an obedient heart. So you say, Pastor Brent, I'm ready to obey right now. If you're ready to step out in obedience, will you raise your hand right now? I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Yeah. Cross this room. Hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Lord, right now, I pray with those that are raising their hands being honest with themselves and with God saying there are some areas in my life that I have not been consistent that I have not been obedient to the one who has called me to walk in obedience and so right now I lay down my pride I lay down my fear I lay down the things that would try to keep me from full obedience to that call Jesus, I pray that we would be fully committed to, the, to, to, to our walk with you. Not just partially, not in some areas, not in the convenient spots. But Lord, we would be able to fully follow you in every possible way that we would surrender to you. And be f- vessels that can be used by you in completion. Completely yours. And so Lord, I pray for not just an emotional response right now, but for a resolve that would follow us out of this room. That as we step out onto the pavement, as we step into our cars, as we walk into our homes, wherever we may go from here, that resolve would follow us and we would follow through in obedience. Lord, I pray for follow through right now. There would be people, men and women of our word, men and women that say, God, you, you spoke it, I believe it, I will follow through in obedience. And we thank you for it, Jesus. What you're going to do in these stories is we show ourselves to be obedient In faithfulness to you. And we thank you for it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to do our connection cards in just a moment. There was one last point I wanted to make, and this didn't fit with the rest of my message, but I think it was so important. It really caught me as I was doing my studies. And it was about a contradiction, another contradiction that happened here, and that was the response of the sailors. It struck me that these pagan sailors had more compassion for Jonah than Jonah was having for the people of Nineveh. Yeah. Yes. Jonah was a prophet of God and of all the people should have had the most compassion. But it was these these people that were pagan sailors that were trying to actually spare Jonah the most. They are like, can we do anything other than sacrifice this guy's life? Well, Jonah was like, let him die. So my question for us to also is, are there times when People of this world seem to show more love and more compassion than those who should be vanguards of love as Christians, as followers of Jesus. So can you identify any factors that may be hindering your compassion for people that may not know Jesus, that are on their way to destruction? Something to consider. It's weighty, isn't it? Well, right now we're going to do our connection cards as we get ready to go. And here's what I ask. First of all, um, I don't know if we mentioned if this is your first time with us. We are so excited and glad you're here. If you don't have a place, you consider your church home, your church family. Will you let us know on that connection card that it's your first time? We want to connect with you and say thank you for being with us. Um, we're going to send you, uh, we've got a gift card for you at the uh, Welcome Center, a drink at our Sparrow Cafe. We'll also do a donation on your behalf to uh, Feed One, which is an organization that brings the good news of Jesus around the world and meets felt needs for children, food, clean water, and an education on your behalf, just as a way of saying thank you. But also... If you made that commitment to follow Jesus for the first time, let us know on that because we want to connect with you on the next steps of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So let us know on that connection card, those things. And then also, this is for everybody. We're all filling this out. If you go to nlcchurch.com slash connector through your Sunday links, let us know what we can be praying with you about in the, con- the comment section there. Maybe God has put something on your heart and you want to be open with us to pray with you about obedience in a certain area. Let us know what we can be praying for you about to follow through in obedience there. Maybe it's an area where we, this last point I made, where you say there's some factors that have been hindering my compassion for people. I've been been kind of a Jonah, just watching people go to hell in a handbasket, being like, glad it's not me. And God is convicting me of, I need to step out. There's some walls that need to be broken down for truly loving people. So if that's you, write that down. We want to pray with you on that. If there's a prayer prayer request, a praise report, any of those things, our elders pray at 6 a.m. every Tuesday over these needs. We lift you up. We we come to the throne room in belief that God is going to do a miracle. So um, let us know what we can be praying with you about. Let's take just a moment to fill those out. And then I will dismiss you out to your grills, guys, so you can start making that lunch right away, all right? So let's fill these out for just a moment. church let's stand together remember guys any guys 18 and over make sure you go grab yourself a root beer float let me pray over you and we will go father i thank you for your church your people i pray that you would go before us that you would uh, give us opportunities to speak life that we would obey immediately and completely in all things lord we would surrender to you jesus we thank you for your goodness and your mercies that are new every single day in your name we pray amen god bless you new life church